Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. If you've been here the last few weeks, we started three weeks ago, I believe it is, walking through the book of Malachi. And and I wish I could tell you that today lets up a little bit, but it does not. I told y'all from day one that Malachi was gonna be a rough book to look at, and today is no different. If you weren't here last week, just to quickly summarize what's going on, because I don't wanna re-preach what we did, because there's a lot of stuff here today. Um, But just to kind of, to catch you up where we're at, uh, Malachi is a messenger of the Lord. He was a prophet of God who God would speak to, and then God would communicate through Malachi the message that he had for the children of Israel. And so we know that when we look at the idea of worship or we look at the act of worship, that the children of Israel had been commanded to give their very best. We looked in Leviticus, we saw that they were called, that they were commanded to give an unblemished offering, which means that was the best that they had to give. And we talked about areas of our life. What are we holding back that we're not giving God all that we are? And I think if you're like me, that I have still been living a life of, conviction this past week, realizing and waking up every day, realizing there's days that I don't offer my best. I don't offer my best. But you know that when we looked last week at these prophets, or we looked at last week at the priest, we saw that the priest had begun to take less than the best. The priest had begun to offer less than their best offering. Instead of an unblemished animal, they begin to offer blemished animals. And therefore, what they ended up doing then was allowing the children of Israel to do the very same thing they were doing. They were allowing the children of Israel to bring less than their best. And so we we referenced the quote from Remember the Titans, that attitude reflects leadership, Captain. Remember? So we're seeing that the, the compromise of the priest has affected the compromise of the children of Israel. It all started with leadership. And so we saw that because of that, the compromise, because of the the half-hearted effort, we we see now that Malachi gets the the honor and the privilege of calling out that half-hearted effort. So he gets to go to the children of Israel and basically tell them that they're not doing what God has called and commanded them to do because the children of Israel had became so focused on the what. Remember we talked about just the religion of church, that they were going to check the boxes. They were going to say they had been to church. And I think if we're real honest, there's a lot of us that do that. We check the boxes. We talked about there's days that we don't wanna be here. We talked about that. But we have to remember the why rather than focusing on the what we do. And so we're gonna pick up in chapter two today. We are gonna make it all the way through another chapter today. So I was absolutely shocked at that. But in Malachi chapter two, we're gonna look at the first three verses to begin with. 
So I want you to read along with me in Malachi chapter two, verses one through three says, and now this commandment is for you, O priest. Now listen, don't check out right there because you're thinking, okay, that this Malachi, the messenger, the voice of the Lord is speaking only to the priest. So that really doesn't have anything to do with me. So buckle your chin straps because I promise we're gonna get back to that. If you do not listen, sounds like a parent, don't it? If you do not listen and if you do not take it to heart, to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, that I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. And indeed, I have cursed them already because you are not taking it to heart. Behold, I'm going to rebuke your offspring and I will spread refuse on your faces. Some of your Bibles may say dung. Yeah, no definition needed. And the refuse of your feast, and you will be taken away with it. You know, when I read this text, and when I think back on, on chapter one, I couldn't help but to go back to a, I'm a very visual learner. And I remember a house that I had in Dahlonega some years ago. It's actually the house that I was living in when, when I met my wife. And I remember this house had a cinder block foundation that, was in front of our, the basement of this house. And every time that it would rain, I was on the side of a mountain in Dahlonega and so the water would run right up against the front of the house. But evidently what I didn't know is that in a cinder block wall, there's either tar or there's, there's some plastic paper that is supposed to protect and to cover up all of the surface of that cinder block wall so that moisture can't creep through. Well, evidently the tar had either gotten old or the, the plastic paper had ripped. But what I found out is that that outer barrier had been compromised. And so every time that it would flood, I could literally walk downstairs into the basement and open the utility room and literally watch the water begin to come through my basement. And it was the most helpless feeling because of one crack of compromise it led to absolute disaster in my home. And so every time that, that this rain would come, every time that the storm would come, because of one crack of compromise, it, it, it brought a disaster and it brought a mess and it created a mess. And so what, I, what God really settled in my heart was I, was I saw that visual of my old house in Dahlonega and how miserable I used to be because of that crack of compromise. God said, Brian, you know what? The enemy still works the exact same way. It's exactly what's happening in the Old Testament. It's exactly what's happened with the children of Israel. You see, the priest, they had one crack of compromise. They had one crack of compromise that we see led to an absolute disaster. And so through the prophet Malachi, God is speaking through him and he's saying, look, if you don't get serious about covering up this crack of compromise, if you don't get serious about fixing what I've commanded you to do, you got a mess on your hands. And so as we look at that, we see that this crack of compromise that it has led to a disaster in God's chosen children. And we see that, that God's not very happy about it. God is not very happy that the priests have compromised their responsibility. 
God's not very happy that the priests have left this crack. And because of that crack, it's continued to lead to disaster over and over and over. And God basically says in the text that we just read, if you don't get serious about this, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. So you better cover up the cracks or I'm gonna let you have it your way. You better stop compromising or I'm gonna let you have it your way. And then he tells them what he's gonna do. I'm gonna curse your blessings. I'm not gonna bless your offspring. And then he says, I'm gonna spread refuse in your face. Now, I don't know about you, but when I see that God is saying, I'm gonna spread dung on your face, I'm going, okay, what in the world is he talking about here? What in the world does that mean? And so I begin to study, I begin to look into it. And what we find out is that when the animals would be offered for sacrifice, we know that, and, and I, look, you can turn on your TV and see things a lot worse than what I'm about to tell you. But if you've not read the Old Testament, there's some rough stuff in the Old Testament. And so what the priests would do is they would slit the throat of the animal being sacrificed, which would shed the blood on the altar to represent the cleansing of the sin, to wash it away. And so when they would slit the throat of the animal, obviously the animal would die. And when the animal would die, that all of their internals, their digestive system would become relaxed. So you can imagine you got blood on one end and an absolute mess on the other end. And God literally says, I'm going to take this mess and I'm gonna rub your face in it. Because you see, at the end of all of that, when the sacrifice was over, they would take the mess, they would take all the leftovers of the animal that was not used for the offering, they would, all the meat had been cut off, they had done everything, and they would cast it outside the temple, they would cast it outside the city, and then they would burn it. And so that's exactly what God is letting them know. He says, look, if you're not gonna get serious about what you're doing, I'm gonna rub your face in this mess and I'm gonna cast you out the same way that I'm gonna cast out all the leftovers of that offering that has been given to me. But you see, that is so much, that has so many more layers to it because the priest also had specific guidelines that they were required to follow. And if they were to touch things other than things they were supposed to be touching, it would declare them unclean and it would forfeit them from their position of priesthood. And so what we see there is God is saying, look, the reason I'm gonna rub your face in it is because that will disqualify you from the position that I've called you to. And I'm gonna get rid of you, I'm gonna get you out. And so we see, we look at that and we're going, man, that God of the Old Testament was just a, he was a mean old guy. But what we learn is that believe it or not, that that act of rubbing refuse in your face was actually a picture of, of mercy. You say, well, how is that mercy? Because again, if you go back to the book of Numbers, when we look at the whole Levitical law, when you became unclean as a priest, you were required to die. And so God says, you know what, I'm, I'm not gonna do that, but what I'm gonna do instead is rub dung in your face. So we look at that and some of you are going, I'd have rather died. That's what I thought. I thought, I'd just, just rather die. Just go ahead and kill me. Don't rub my face in that mess. Just take me out. 
But what we see is that God is beginning to let us see his mercy. God is beginning to let us see his grace. And then he goes on to remind them of just that, to remind them of their grace and their mercy. Keep reading in verses four through seven. He says, then you will know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant may continue with Levi, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace. And I gave them to him as an object of reverence. So he revered me and he stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth and unrighteousness was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and in uprightness. He turned many back from their iniquity for the lips of the priest should preserve knowledge and men should seek instruction from this, from his mouth for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. So what he does is he reminds the children of Israel of his promise to Levi. You know, the nation of Israel was made up of 12 different tribes. The the tribe of Levi was one of those and he's reminding them of this promise. He says, I have promised the tribe of Levi. I have promised you as my children, a life of peace. I've promised you life. But life is only found in obedience to me. So I've promised you life. I have promised you peace. But the beautiful part of that is when he talks about what he's promised Levi, we see Levi's response to the promise of God. What does it say there? It says that Levi revered me, which means he had reverence for me. Levi stood in awe of me. Levi taught the truth. Levi walked with me. But here's what I want us to stop and pay attention to. A life of obedience in Levi and his children. Do you see what it led to? It led to the people turning from their sin. Because Levi lived out obedience because the children of Israel in that moment were living out obedience, what happened? People turned from their sin. People were turning from their sin because Levi walked with the Lord, because he taught the truth, because unrighteousness was not on his lips. And so we see that there is fruit when we're obedient to what God has called us to do. There's fruit when we're walking in what God has called us to do. And so he reminds them, I promised Levi life. I've promised him peace. And as a result of that promise, he's lived a life that has honored me. But then it quickly turns. But for you. I don't know about you, but I don't wanna be a part of that. This is what it's supposed to look like. This is what an obedient priest is supposed to look like and walk like and talk like, but for you. And then he kind of unpacks what he's done. And ultimately what we're gonna read here is he's gonna say, but for you, you've compromised. But for you, you have compromised. Look at verse eight and nine. Verse eight and nine, we read there, it says, whoa, I didn't flip, Malachi chapter two, there we go. Verse eight and nine, but as for you, there's that statement, but as for you, 
you have turned aside from the way. It means you've turned your back. You've taken your eyes off of me. You have caused many to stumble by the instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. Verse nine, so I also have made you despised, abased before all of the people, just as you are not keeping my ways, but you're showing partiality in the instructions. That's a lot different than what we heard of the priest of Levi. That's a lot different than what we've heard that he's addressed towards Levi. Remember, Levi had been faithfully walked with the Lord. He spoke the truth. And because of that, people turned from their sin. But as for you, he says, you've turned aside and you've caused others to stumble and you've corrupted the covenant. Now, it's very easy for us to check out because this seems like it is very pointed at the priest. You're thinking, well, Brian, this is, again, this is Old Testament. This is not applicable. This is not about me. Number one, I'm not a priest. So, so what, what can we take from this? What does God want us to learn through this text? What does God want us to learn through this? As you sit here, you're maybe thinking this doesn't apply for me. But there is such a simple truth that is implicated into this that every single follower of Jesus Christ can apply this truth to all of our life. Because the reality is, if you have been washed by the blood of the lamb, if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and savior, we all have the same responsibility that the priest did of the Old Testament. You say, well, what was, that, what was that responsibility? Their responsibility was to usher people into the presence of a holy and a righteous God. And if we are blood-bought believers of Christ, it is our responsibility to usher people in to the presence of an almighty God who loves them and gave his only son to take away their sins. It is our responsibility as the church to usher people in to the presence of a holy God. I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter two. 1 Peter chapter two, and we're gonna read verses nine and 10. This lets us know our responsibility as his children now. This lets us know our responsibility as the New Testament church. Verse nine and 10 of 1 Peter chapter two. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim his excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are a people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy." Church, this is to us. We are chosen by God to be this royal priesthood that is to proclaim his excellencies, to bring praise to an almighty God. And we're to bring, or to bring praise to his name. We're to, to preach his excellencies in response to understanding the promises that he's given us. And if you're a child of God, what we just read in 1 Peter chapter two, that's your testimony. 
That is your testimony. You once were in darkness, but now you're in light. You once did not know the mercies of God, but now you know the mercies of God. You once were an enemy of God, but now you are on his team. Now you are in his family. When you were hopeless, he's now given us hope. And because of all of those things, that is why we are to talk about his excellencies, to proclaim his excellencies. And when we tell that redemption story, our personal redemption story, you realize that ushers people in to the presence of a holy God. Because we could all go around the room And if you've been saved by grace, you can say, Brian, that's my story. I was in the darkness, but now I'm in the light. God, once I didn't didn't understand the mercies of God, but now I'm walking in the mercies of God. I used to be an enemy of God, but now I'm of the family of God. And if we truly believe that, if we've been saved by his grace through faith, then church, that's your story. And we've got to proclaim those excellencies because when we proclaim that, it opens people's hearts to the gospel that the same God that saved you is offering that same redemption story to them. But here's a question that I want to ask. Does our lifestyle or our worship, is it doing that? Is our lifestyle or our worship? And now look, when we say that word worship, if we did a survey right now, everybody would go around the room and you're gonna think about the 30 minutes before that guy gets up there and preach. That's worship, right? That's what we'd all say, okay, yeah. So does that mean I have to raise my hand? What I'm talking about worship here has nothing to do with music. It has nothing to do with the band. Because the definition of worship is this. It's when we put on display what is worth something to you. Worship is putting on display what is worth something to you. It's always so funny on Sunday mornings after a Saturday because we all come in here putting on display what's worth something to us. And usually it depends on if our team won or lost on Saturday. But you see, worship is a lifestyle and that's the question that we must ask. Are we putting on display in our life what is worth something to us? And what we find worth in, does it usher people into the presence of the Lord or does it turn people from the Lord? Because you do realize that we worship things that aren't holy. We give worth to things that aren't gonna lead people to a loving relationship with an almighty God. We exalt things that in a heavenly perspective, honestly, are absolutely worthless. That they're absolutely worthless. But what we're lifting up, is it ushering people into the presence of God or is it causing them to go the other way? Because we see there that these priests in the Old Testament, he said, but as for you, you've caused them to stumble. But as for you, you've caused them to stumble. The definition of stumble is to fall, to stagger, or to waver. Is our lifestyle or is our worship causing others to question God? 
Because we can declare that, oh yes, I've been saved by the grace of God, but we're still going out and living like the world? Who doesn't want a part of that? You telling me that I can pray this prayer, I can raise my hand and I can get my fire insurance and I can get to go to heaven, but I don't have to change anything? If you've encountered a holy and a righteous God, the Holy Spirit in you changes everything about you. Now it's a process, it's the sanctification. Salvation is immediate, but sanctification is a prolonged journey of following Christ. We will never be completely sanctified until we take our last breath in this flesh. So you say, well, well, pastor, do you still make mistakes and sin? Absolutely I do. You still blow your horn and get mad at people on the road every day. It was really awkward. I was taking my kids to school the other day. Now, if you're in this room and this was you, I am so sorry. I love you. I probably don't even need to say it, do I? But we were right over here. Chestnut Mountain Circle, right here, or Strickland Road. And this car just kept coming up on my bumper. Had all 104 of my kids in my truck with me. And so, you know, I did what every spiritual man does. You're on my bumper, so I'm, I'm gonna pray for you, right? Absolutely not. I had a big old hitch in the back of my truck. I'm locking it up. I'm like, yeah, you're about to eat the tailgate of a Chevrolet pickup truck. But you know what? I smiled the whole time. I did. And then we get here to the stop sign right here. And I'm going, oh, please, God, do not let them turn left. Please do not let them turn left. But ended up, I ended up behind them in the car rider line at the school. But I'm sitting there going, you know what? My actions, because they were obviously very angry with me. They were obviously very mad at me. I was mad at them too, so it was even. But what I was doing, my actions, and I know this is comical, I know this is funny, but my actions did nothing to usher them into the presence of the Lord, nothing. But so we have to ask ourselves the question, if I would have got out and introduced myself, and said, good morning, it's nice to meet you, I'm the pastor at Chestnut Mountain Church. <laughs> Something's not lining up, right? So you're the jerk, yep, that's me. So instead of ushering them into the presence of the Lord, I'm probably causing them to stumble because they were probably saying things, calling me things, but it's on me. So does our lifestyle, does our worship cause others to stumble or is it ushering people into the presence of God? You know, Jesus even speaks to this fact. If we cause his little ones to stumble, you wanna hear how serious Jesus was about it? He said, if you cause one of my little ones to stumble, you're better off to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the depths of the sea. He said, you're better off to drown than you are cause one of my little ones to stumble. And so when we examine our life, when we look back on our life, does our lifestyle lead others to stumble? Does our lifestyle and worship, does it lead others to stumble or does it usher them into the presence of a holy God who loves them? And parents, I can't help but ask this question. As a parent, where, where does our lifestyle lead our children? Moms and dads, have we allowed the enemy 
to walk through our compromise? Are we allowing the enemy to come through that crack of compromise that we feel like we can justify doing this because nobody knows, nobody knows what's in my home, nobody knows what happens in my home. It's my home, so it's my responsibility. It's not anybody else's business. But the question is, is your lifestyle and your worship, does it potentially lead your child to stumble? Could it? Could the possibility of your lifestyle lead your child to stumble? Because if they're stumbling, they're not pursuing and following after the Lord. But the point is this, where are you leading? Where are we all leading? Are we leading people into the presence of the Lord? Are we leading people to stumble? And are we leading people to compromise? Because that's what's happened with these priests. What they have allowed is compromise. They begin to make exceptions, to make it easier, to make it more enjoyable. And because of that compromise, it has trickled down all through the nation of Israel into God's children. I want us to keep reading. I want you to see how toxic their leadership was. I want you to see how toxic the leadership of these priests were. Look at verse 10. Do we not all have one father? Has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously each against his brother so as to profane the covenant of our fathers? Verse 11, Judah has dealt treacherously and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and they have married the daughters of foreign gods. Now, I know that you may be going, what in the world is that all about? The theme in those couple of verses are this. First thing he speaks to is the division that has happened in Israel. The division that has taken place We know that there was conflict, there was sin, there was all of this mess going on because the priest compromised. That's what we're all gonna go back to. Everything that we read about is all because the priest compromised. That's where it all started was because the priest left the door of compromise open. So the first thing that he speaks to is the division in Israel. The compromise has led to sin and sin has led to division. And we're talking about the division that Israel had, part of Israel had moved north and then Judah had moved to the south. And that's why God says, was I not all your father? I was the father of all of you, but as a result of sin, as a result of compromise, as a result of disobedience, you have been divided, you have split. I'm still the father of both, but because of sin has led to the fracture. Sin has led to the division. Both parties are guilty of sin. But what we can understand is that sin is always going to lead to division. Sin will always lead to division. And so we keep reading throughout the rest of that chapter and it's just about division. The division in the nation, the division in the home, because he really starts speaking of divorce. And we read there, it's pretty black and white what God says in in 
chapter two, verse 16, he says, for I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. But I want us to keep reading. It says, and in him who covers his garment with wrong, says the Lord of hosts, so take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. You see, all this division, the nation, the division in the marriage, the division in the home, it was all a result because the priest compromised. The priest allowed the people, the children of Israel, to offer less than all they are. You see, God had ordained the marriages within the children of Israel. God had ordained these marriages for, for Israelites to marry Israelites. And he had said, this is how my kingdom is gonna come. I'm gonna use you. But you see, what happened was when they were released from the bondage of Babylon and when they went back into the city, it said there that they were placed among the pagans. And pagans there would get the definition or the title of, these are just people who don't love God. And so many scholars believe that these pagan women were very beautiful women and that the men were enticed by these women. And so now these, these men have left their brides that God has ordained to chase after women that don't even love him. But you see, there's a, there's a picture that I want us to understand. You read there a minute ago, it talked about the garment. You see, that was kind of the, the Old Testament way of engagement or marriage is, is that the man, once God showed him who that bride was to be, he would take his garment and he would stretch it over the one that God had chosen for him. And what that stood for was protection. What that stood for was provision. But then when the man would decide to leave and to go after the pagan women, that same garment that once stood for protection and provision now stood for abuse and neglect and rejection. And so what we see there is this, this parallel that it all started because now the priest had compromised and now we see that the men had begun to compromise because you realize the men knew what that garment was about. The men knew what their responsibility was when they stretched this garment over this woman. They knew that the garment was to represent protection and provision. But you see, now their flesh gets involved. And now they can say, well, I know I've committed this to this one, but, but you know what? If my priest can compromise, I can compromise too. If my priest is gonna allow all for them take or accept less than my best, then I can do the same with, with this one that God has ordained. That means that I can offer less than my best. And so what we see, this is the big picture. This is the, the overarching theme here is what we see is that, that this compromise began with the priest. This compromise began with what the priest was allowing to be offered. And so then it trickles down. It trickles down that now that the children of Israel are now compromising what they're offering. So now they're offering less than their best. And now we see what continues to happen now is it trickles on down and these people aren't even living for God anymore. But it all started because the priest compromised what he would offer. 
It all began because the priest compromised what he had offered. Remember, if the enemy can find one crack of compromise, he will bring disaster. If the enemy can find one crack of compromise, he will bring disaster. The priest compromised and it led to a kingdom splitting. It led to marriages crumbling. But all of this disaster started because of compromise. So here's the question that I've had to ask myself all week. What have I compromised? What sin have I compromised? What crack have I allowed the enemy to step through? And if we were real honest, then we're gonna have an opportunity in just a moment to, to get on our face and just say, God, what have I compromised? I can promise you that if you humble yourselves before a holy and a righteous God as a follower of God and you say, God, what have I compromised? The Holy Spirit will reveal it to you. The Holy Spirit will reveal to you what you've compromised. But here's the truth. Once the Holy Spirit reveals what you've compromised, now you must deal with it. You must deal with what the Holy Spirit speaks to you. And Malachi even speaks to that. He says, take heed to your spirit. Take heed to your spirit. And so for us as believers, if you're a follower of Christ in this room today, this is the thing. We don't like to talk about this a whole lot. When the Holy Spirit reveals sin in our lives, we are called by God to repent. We don't like to talk about repentance much. We only wanna talk about, and don't get me wrong and don't misunderstand this. Yes, we celebrate God's grace. We celebrate God's mercy, but we also have gotta to get to a place that we celebrate the conviction of the Holy Spirit because when he convicts us, he is causing us as his child, calling us to repent and to turn from that because we are compromising something and that compromise will lead to disaster. So the Holy Spirit of God convicts us because he loves us. That is why. And so, yes, you say, well, but, 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 but Brian, I like walking in the grace of God. I like walking in the mercies of God. I do too. But the more we understand the grace and the mercies of God, the more we want to repent of our flesh and to chase after a holy God. Because that's what he's called us to. He tells us to be holy because he is holy. And yes, that causes us to die to our flesh but when's the last time that you have been broken over your sin? When is the last time you have wept because of disobedience? For me personally, you may be real honest with you, it's been a long time. It's been a long time that I have been broken over my own sin. You say, well, that's just probably because you don't sin. <laughs> You can ask my wife. She will testify to that in just a minute. She, you're not going to. She just said amen. That's the only amen she's given me all morning. But when the Holy Spirit convicts us, church, we're called by God to repent of that sin. To repent of that sin. In verse 13, 
It looks like that's what they're doing. Look at verse 13. It says, this is another thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and with groaning, because he is no longer in regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. So when we hear about them laying themselves on the altar and they're weeping, on the surface it would appear there that they're weeping and that they're broken over their sin. But what we find out is when we read in that text, that's not at all what they're broken over. You know what they're broken over? You know why they're weeping? It's because God said, I'm not going to bless your disobedience. How many of us in here, we've been in that same boat? Look, I have, I don't know how many times, I'm living in disobedience, but then I get angry with God when things fall apart. Because in my mind, I'm like, well, God, I love you. Church, let me tell you, God is not going to bless our disobedience. Because remember, he said, I'm not gonna bless your offspring. The offspring that he's talking about is the children now that they're having with these pagan people because they're living in sin and they're saying, but God, I I want you to bless us anyway. I know I'm living in sin. I know I'm living in disobedience, but God, I want you to bless us anyway. Church, let me tell you, God does not bless our disobedience. And we've all been there. We've all wanted God to bless our disobedience. And when things fall apart, when we're living in sin, what's our first response? We get mad at God. Well, God, you don't love me. God, if you really love me, you wouldn't have me walking through this. And God's simply saying, if you truly love me, you would offer your best. So God doesn't bless disobedience, but here's the reality. I know you're thinking, my gosh, this, I told y'all Malachi gonna be rough. But can I tell you, you can't know the good news until you know the bad news. Yes, we hear all of this. It sounds like God's angry wrath. But can I tell you that there is good news in Christ Jesus? That it doesn't matter what you're walking in today. It doesn't matter what you've been through in your life. It doesn't matter how long you've been disobedient. It doesn't matter how long you've rebelled against God. But what I want you to understand today, that he doesn't bless your disobedience, but he redeems you through repentance. He redeems us through repentance. You say, well, Brian, I know my disobedience has led to a mess. I know my, I've compromised and I know because of my compromise, the enemy has found his way in. He's destroyed my home. He's destroyed my job. He's destroyed all of this stuff because I compromised. Because I compromised. But here's what I want you to understand. You can't out-sin God's grace. You can't out-sin God's forgiveness. I don't care what you've been through. I don't care what you're going through right now. But if we will humble ourselves before a holy and a righteous God and we will repent of our sins, can I tell you that the father who loves you will never turn his child away? And that's good news. That is victory. That's another reason we're thankful for the New Testament, right? Praise God. So maybe you're here this morning. And maybe that you're living in sin. 
As we asked the question a minute ago, what have you compromised? I pray that the Holy Spirit convicted you. I pray that the Holy Spirit moved in your heart. But if he did, church, it's time that we repent. Because while he will not bless our disobedience, he will redeem us through our repentance. He will redeem the second chances. He will redeem the third chances because he's a God of grace and he's a God of mercy. You know, we can't talk about repentance and rebellion and compromise without thinking of the story of the prodigal son that many of us know about. You know, the prodigal son compromised his inheritance. The prodigal son wanted it now. And so even the parallel to what we talked about, he says, okay, if you want it now, I'll give it to you now. God says, if you want it your way, I'll let you have it your way. And so the prodigal son took all of his inheritance. He took all of the benefits of being the son and he ran and chased after his flesh. He compromised who he was. He compromised everything that he was. Until finally, we see the picture painted there that the the spirit convicted and he woke up and he found himself in the, the chow hall with the pigs. And he realized, you know what? My compromise has created a mess. My compromise has caused a disaster. My father didn't create me to live like this. Remember the father... The covenant was a a promise of life and peace. That's not sleeping with the pigs and eating the slop that they were eating. And so as the Holy Spirit moves on us, what, what, what what is your slop? What have you found yourself in? And if that's where you find yourself today, what I wanna encourage you is to get up, get up because we serve a God who's not given up on you. We serve a God who knew that while you were a sinner, he sent his son to die for you. While you were in the slop, his son died for you. While you were living in rebellion, his son died for you. But the beautiful part of that picture is the son decides to get up and go back to the father. And I can't get over the fact that in that passage it says, And from afar off, the father saw his son coming. So what that tells us is the father was just waiting for that child to come home. That father was waiting for that child to come home. There's some of you that you need to hear that this morning, that the heavenly father is standing on the front porch waiting for you to come home. And you say, well, Brian, how's he gonna receive me when I come home? I know I've made a mess. I know I'm living in sin. But we see what happens. The father runs to the son. He didn't wait for him to come all the way. The father went and met him in in the process. And the father falls at his son's feet and begins to kiss him. And he basically says, hey, go get a T-bone. We're gonna have a party because my son's come home. And if you notice, 
He didn't reprimand his son. He didn't say, do you realize what you've done? And because of what you've done, I, I don't know. Instead of a T-bone, we're probably just gonna go with like some hamburger steaks or something. No. He said, we're gonna do the best. We're gonna give you the best we have. And the father welcomed his child back in. He welcomed his child back home. You see, the prodigal son had compromised. It all started with the compromise. But just like that, the prodigal son was redeemed by repentance. He came home. He came home. So the question that I wanna end with today is, is really just a question to ask you to examine your heart or not you to examine, you ask the Holy Spirit of God to examine. What have we compromised? What lifestyle, what things in your home have you compromised? Does your worship or do your lifestyle, does it usher people into the presence of a relationship with a God who loves them? Or does it cause them to question Christianity altogether? Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org nextsteps and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org and don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.